Hey everyone, welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. This week, we're returning to the Star Wars Expanded Universe for Book 2 of the New Jedi Order series, Dark Tide 1 Onslaught, by Michael A. Stackpole. I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey, and joining me once again is Lauren McCaffrey. hey <laughs> Before we head into the episode itself, a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, exclusive original fiction, and more. Additionally, I've officially published a story on Amazon. The Aquamancer's Gem is a fantasy short story, the first in a series that I'll be releasing for Kindle over the next year or so. I'm also working on a, an official author website, and hopefully I'll be able to sell uh, just standard EPUB ebook files for that. So if you don't have a Kindle or you don't have the Kindle app on your phone, you'll be able to get access to the story in another location. I hope you all check it out. But to the topic at hand, Dark Tide 1 Onslaught. A quick, well, maybe not so quick, plot summary here. <laughs> In the wake of the first conflict of the Yuuzhan Vong's invasion of the galaxy, the New Republic and Luke's Jedi Order are both reeling. Chief of State Borsk Falia and his cronies on the Advisory Council refuse to admit the threat of the, the Yuuzhan Vong pose and insist on stonewalling any sort of major military action. As a result, Leia and Jaina Solo head to the Outer Rim world of Agamar to organize help for refugees, and Admiral Treist Crefey works with Colonel Gavin Darklighter of Rogue Squadron, to brew up new tactics against the Vong. Han Solo, still distraught over the death of Chewbacca, descends into drunkenness. And the Jedi spring into action. Luke sends out multiple missions. Corrin Horn and Gainer Rysode head to the planet Bimiel to help a stranded group of scientists. Mara Jade and Anakin go to the Force-rich planet of Dantooine to help in her ongoing fight against illness. And Jason goes with Luke himself back to Belkadan, hoping to discover more information about the Yuuzhan Vong. On Belkadan, they discover the Vong have set up infrastructure to grow new military hardware using local slave labor. Jason has a vision of freeing the slaves and heads off to fulfill it, but fails and is captured, tortured, and implanted with a seed that will turn him into a slave as well. However, Luke shows up and rescues him before they flee the planet to serve another premonition of Luke's. On Bimiel, Korn and Gainer discover yet another Yuuzhan Vong outpost with slaves and rescue the scientists. And on Dantooine, Anakin learns valuable lessons about the Force from Mera, but they discover a new Yuuzhan Vong invasion underway. All the plot lines converge on Dantooine as Leia and the refugees arrive, only to find themselves under attack again. Jaina joins Rogue Squadron, and Luke and Jason save Mera and Anakin, but they must all band together to, perfect, to protect the refugees from a massive Vong army. Their defense fails, though, and they must flee Dantooine with the few remaining refugees. As they attempt to jump to hyperspace, a Yuuzhan Vong cruiser uses its Dovan basils to put up an interdiction field. Only the timely arrival of Admiral Crefe's flagship, the Ralroost, and the Victory-class Star Destroyer Karuska Fire are enough to overcome the cruiser and allow the refugees to escape. In the aftermath on Coruscant, Gavin, Leia, and Crefe corner Phalia and the Advisory Council, strong-arming them into allowing a full mo military mobilization against the Yuuzhan Vong. Wedge Antilles and Tycho Selshu come out of retirement to help. And back on Bimiel, the Yuuzhan Vong war commander Shadeo Shai discovers a hatred of the Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. They they mispronounce it. The Jedi. 
in in the book. It's J E E D A I. Oh, okay. Yeah. Also, that's the first time I've seen Yuzan Vong spelled. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like all the Star Wars books, Lauren and I have been covering once again. I read this book aloud to her. Um, I will say, uh, the reading experience for this one was a lot smoother than Vector Prime. One. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael Stackpole's prose and narrative style, uh, in, in general, just the flow of the book is much smoother than Salvatore's in Vector Prime. Uh, it, it feels a little bit like coming home. Uh, with it definitely did. Like how many times I've read the X-Wing books and Lauren. Yeah. With, you, you've even done like the audiobooks, the abridged audiobooks for some of them. And, he's so comfortable writing the X-Wing pilots. And yes. It just, yeah, you're, I, I felt that. Yeah. Like one of the things that stood out to me in Vector Prime <laughs> was that I really didn't think Salvatore wrote space battles very well. And here going, you know, into the scenes with like Gavin and the rogues or uh, even sticks. even the pirates <laughs> in the very beginning of the book getting attacked by the Vong. Yeah. Um, yeah. All, all of these space battle and starfighter battle sequences. Great. You know, uh, yeah. If anything, I, I almost think they're better than some of his stuff in the original Rogue Squadron books. I remember reading through those with you and thinking that some of them got a little dry in the description. He got so technical. Here, I didn't feel like that. It was just descriptive and engaging. I think this uh, might be, other than I, Jedi, the best written Stackpole book so far in my reread of the EU over the last few years. Hmm. Um, like, I, I I feel like he really ironed off a lot of the rough edges from, like, Rogue Squadron and Wedge's Gamble and Kratos Trap. Was he doing the thing where he renamed characters mm-hmm. five times in a paragraph? The Admiral. Yeah, so this the is... The man. This is something... Um, me reading aloud to you, I edited edited yeah. a lot yeah. of this for you. Um, yeah, this is like one of the biggest criticisms I have about uh, Stackpole's writing is that he he uses epithets, he uses descriptors instead of just naming a character. So, like instead of Gavin said X, Y, and Z to Admiral Crefay, it's the dark-haired Tatooine native said X, Y, and Z to Admiral Crefay. Okay, so that and like that oh. feels <laughs> like when I'm writing an essay and I use the same word too many times. <laughs> well, and but I mean, honestly, like how many? For example, how many times am I going to say "brew"? A lot of times, and it's, it's yeah. unavoidable. Yeah, hot word. I'll say, you know, like how many other ways do I have? Right. Um. So it's funny you say that, though, because, A, like, naming somebody in a speaker tag is, it's it's almost invisible. Yeah. It like, should be if you're reading, that. you just, you just kind of gloss over it as a reader. Um, but what he does makes you not gloss over it, and it really interrupts the flow of the story, the flow of the dialogue, especially. So it's jarring, and you bounce yeah. out. And then on top of that, you said, like, you know, this sounds like somebody trying to avoid using the same word over and over. Yes. 
the other big criticism I have of his writing in this book is, uh, and, and this extends really throughout all of the Stackpole books I've ever read, uh, including the like one non-Star Wars book I read as a kid, uh, Italian Revenant. Um, his characters only do a couple of things in, in uh, conversations. They narrow their eyes all the time. Oh. And they bring their heads up. Oh, okay. Constantly. Corin brought his head up. <laughs> Gavin narrowed his eyes. Gavin's eyes narrowed. Leia's eyes narrowed. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Stackpole definitely has a few uh, crutches. <laughs> when, when he doesn't want to just have a wall of dialogue and he wants, like, the characters to do something physically in the midst of all the discussion, he falls back on a lot of the same couple of things. I mean, there I've seen that with a few authors. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, Brandon Sanderson's Brandon, notorious yeah. with characters raising an eyebrow. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, they did, they did lots of in this last read, lots of verbs over and over and over. Uh huh. Like, could be three times in a sentence sometimes. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of curious. I'm I'm doing a search in the book to see how many times the words "brought his head up" uh, show up. Although it is oh, it's taking it's oh the search is broken. Darn. Well, oh well. <laughs> uh, the search function is not working on my ebook right now, but. Yeah, like it's it is what it is, and especially with books like this and in a series like this, where you know this is a nineteen book series mm-hmm. that came out over the course of like less than four years, as really? I recall. So there were a lot of tight deadlines. Oh, okay. I'm sure there wasn't a whole lot of like, all right, we're gonna do a really detailed you know line edit here. Well, and they have to communicate author to author. Yeah. Uh, in fact, this is something we'll talk about as we get further into the series. You know, this is early on and there hasn't been enough time yet for a lot of the <laughs> the weirdness to start creeping in. But there are points where like um, uh, infamously, for instance, Destiny's Way, which is uh, maybe two thirds of the way through the series. Uh, the author turned in his draft of the book before the previous previous like three books got turned in. Oh my gosh. And so there were some inconsistencies and there were some things that even when you're reading it, it becomes clear that it was like a very rushed uh, revision process. Holy moly. Yeah. This would stress me out so much. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what, what makes the new Jedi order such an incredible feat is that they managed is that they've managed to pull it off. And overall it is, you know, a, a cohesive story. Is there, is there like a grand outline that they had to work with? You know, I'm not sure how much of a grand, I mean, like there was a, at least a skeleton I know where they had some ideas, but I do know a lot of things got changed as the series went on. Um, there is, there's one pretty major thing 
I know that there was an original plan for and they had to change. Um, I, I don't, I, I want to be careful saying this because I, I can't remember if it was, I, I believe it was George Lucas himself who stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. Okay. Um, I can't remember if it was just a rumor that it was Lucas or if it was for sure him, but the reason behind it was a rumor. But either way. So there, there are some things like that that definitely changed during the writing of the series. But, but yeah, where we're at here, two books in, you know, not a whole lot of like continuity stuff to worry about. Maybe some use on Bong things. I mean, no, not really. But like, yeah, I I could see them coming up. Oh, just like with building a new alien culture. Exactly. And, and you're getting to see by the end of this book um, with the Shadeo Shai epilogue, there is definitely an effort to build their culture out. You're getting alien names for things. Like we, we get the whole, you know, Corn and Ganner sequence on Bimiel and they're calling like the huts, you know, they're just like giant shells. And then you get in Shadeo Shai's point of view and they have names. It's a Grashal and a Minshal and things like that. So Well, it, in know. his perspective, it's the first time that we know that they have relations and they care about them. Mm-hmm. Like Yeah, you find out about Domain Shy and how he has cousins and, and his grandfather and Yeah. I kind of had the impression before this that they were all individuals and they are a force together, like the Borg. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so that was the first time where it was like, Oh, he does care about someone in, in a a twisted way. There's very much, um, a sense of like, uh, honor is very important to them, but honor for them is, is not the same sense of honor that we would have as humans. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and as obviously as the series goes on, we're going to get to learn a lot more about the use on Vaughn. You know, we got a few points of view from Namanor and Yeoman Carr in Vector Prime, but in this book, it was nearly all from the good guys. We had the prologue from that that pirate uh, Zaxen, yeah, and then we get the epilogue from Shadeo Shai, and that's it. Yeah, that that epilogue taught me the most. For sure. I mean, we we find out there that, uh, like, really, as far as epilogues go, it packed a lot into a very small space. Yes. Like, we find out in just a couple of sentences that the Praetorate Vong, um, like, Nam Anor was trying to use them not necessarily the way he should have. And he was trying to, like, get a political leg up by attacking Dubrillion with them. And there and were then, people, there was a force before that? Uh, yeah, there was 50 years ago, they sent scouts into the galaxy. Uh, I mean, obviously they sent scouts in earlier because Nalmanor had been in for a while. But the, so the scouts thing actually ties into a prequel novel oh. called Rogue Planet, uh, which we probably won't read and cover it on the podcast, but it, it was written as a tie-in to the new Jedi order. It's like a, 
um, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan story before episode one. Oh. And they run into Yuuzhan Vong in it. The scouts. They're not called Yuuzhan Vong. They're called the Far Outsiders. But it's like, it's a thing. And, and it will come back and later in the series, it'll tie back to Rogue Planet. Huh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we, we find out here that like, there are waves of the invasion and that they haven't necessarily all done what they were supposed to. And Domain Shy has to come in and like clean up Namanor's mess because he failed at Dubrillion. And and then, yeah, we, we have the first roots of a real problem the Yuuzhan Vong have with the Jedi. Yes, the Jedi. The Jedi. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 curious about them. They I don't understand them and I'm not supposed to. I get that. Like yeah. why they want what they want, do what they do. Yes. Yeah, that is I I mean there are points in this book that the main characters openly discuss like we don't know why they're here. We don't know why they hate technology the way they do. Clearly they're upset by it. Yeah. Offended. Offended is a better word. I think it goes beyond offended. They're Uh, outraged by it. Well, yeah, but like the evidence we see is. Yeah. Them, yeah. them tearing it apart and like leaving it as a message. Mm-hmm. 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 But we don't see them tearing it apart, so I I felt like they were offended more than outraged. I mean, we get it a little bit with Yeoman Carr's point of view in the first book, where he's like, right, right. He's really well. He gets very upset. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, sticking on on style before we like fully go into characters and whatnot. I want to talk about the structure of this book, because this is short. Uh, it's a good bit shorter than Vector Prime was. Yeah. And yet, we have a pretty spread out structure, where we have Gavin and Treas Crefay as, like, one storyline. We have L- Leia and Jaina and Elagos. We have... Corrin and Ganner, we have Luke and Jason, we have Mara and Anakin. Mm-hmm. So we have like five five story arcs within one book that's like, I think the paperback of this is 225 pages. Really? Yeah. Uh, and, and I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, did you find all of those story arcs satisfying? Did you think it was too much packed into too small space? Did you think it, it worked? Was it I definitely felt like some were stronger than others. Um, Anakin and Mara were strong. Corin, uh, Corin and Ganner, and Ganner were strong. Luke and Jason were not as strong. Not bad though. And then maybe Leia, and, Leia Jaina. and Jaina. There was just a lot going on there. It mm-hmm. wasn't as like 
uh, focused on them? So I know for myself, I feel like the Leia and Jaina and Luke and Jason arcs were much less satisfying. Yes. Um, I felt like both of them got cut really short where like they didn't have any room to breathe before Stackpole was like, oh, crap, I need to get everybody together at Dantooine for the big final battle. Whereas like the other four, they had room. Yeah. Like I would have liked at least another chapter or two for Jason to grapple with his failed vision from the force. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked another chapter or two of Leia being an administrator and politician playing to her strengths and Jaina assimilating into Rogue Squadron. Yes, because we know. didn't get much of that. We really didn't. Uh, we're told right at the end that you know she immediately moved into the Rogue Squadron and, building on Coruscant and she's getting along with everybody and fits like a glove, but we're just told that in one sentence. We don't see it. Right, and and with Rogue Books, we saw yes. how they interacted a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Okay, so with Luke, would you want what him dealing with Mara his feelings about Mara so I don't care so much about Luke Luke is uh as a character pretty fleshed out yes okay his like we don't get many if if any in fact I don't know if we get any Luke points of view in this book uh, everything I think yeah. is from Jason well, no 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 he has he has a moment with Mara that's not from her perspective. Oh, yeah, Luke, we do have one point of view from him, you're right, uh, in the preparation for the battle. Yes. When he, yeah, he wakes up um, and he's, like, heading out to talk to the commander. Yeah. But that, if that's not the only one, it's one of very few. Like, Luke isn't really the main character here. His, His internal conflicts have largely been solved over the course of you know, the original trilogy and then things like Dark Empire, uh, the Thrawn trilogy, and the well, Jedi Academy trilogy. Hold on. Here he has he has a moment where he's like, we're going to lose. We're done. I can't, like, I don't have, I don't have it figured out. Hmm. And then he comes up with an idea hmm. as he's talking to Jason. Remember? Yeah. Um, so and- I'm not saying he doesn't have any conflict, but he he is largely settled as a character and has become larger than life. Yeah. And his conflicts in the new Jedi order are largely like big scale. Like what is the Jedi order going to be? Yeah. Like he is, he is symbolic for a greater conflict. And, and so we're spending our time in the heads of the solo children as they discover who they are. He could have had some time with dealing with like Mara Mara dying and Mara saying no enough enough rest I I it's actually hurting me it's not helping me and you need to let me mm-hmm. be a part of this you need to stop sheltering me and and he did struggle with that but we we don't get to see much of his internal struggle yeah yeah, and so like I'm, I'm less. Maybe it's just because I find the new generation of Jedi to be 
more complicated. Like Luke's character arc throughout Star Wars and the in the original expanded universe, not Disney canon, uh, is pretty straightforward. Just like <laughs> heroic character arc. Yeah. The others have much more uh, varied paths to take. I mean, we look at Corrin, for instance, going from Corsac officer to Rogue Squadron pilot to Jedi and trying to sort out how to deal with all of these disparate legacies that have fallen onto his shoulders, learning how to handle responsibility and kind of having to grow up like Corrin here in this book is much more mature than the last time you saw him. Yes. Um, but it does feel like a bit much with him. Like, like he is whatever the plot needs him to be. Now he's a Jedi. Now he's a former officer. Now he's a pilot. Uh, now he's got this. I don't think, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think that was a thematic conflict in I Jedi specifically where Corrin's like, what do I need to be to solve this, this immediate circumstance, this immediate problem, and then move on and like, what's the next solution? But the result at the end of that book is these are not masks for me to put on and take off. These are all me and I have to learn how to consolidate them into one being. I am not Cornhorn, Corsac officer, son of, you know, Halhorn. I am not uh, Kieran Halcyon, Jedi Knight. I am not Cornhorn, <coughs> Rogue Squadron pilot. I am all of these things. Yes, yes. I And I remember that conflict. I just mean like the fact that he's written as all these things is sometimes hard to believe. Uh, fair enough. There, there are, I would say not so much by this point, uh, by the NJO, but in the early rogue squadron books, there are very fair accusations to be leveled at Corrin for being a bit of a Mary Sue. Yes. Yeah. I, I didn't, you're right. I didn't feel that way this book. I did feel that way earlier books. I I like him more settled here. Yeah. This is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like the Corrin and Ganner arc I thought was satisfying. Like you said, Mara and Anakin, I loved Anakin's growth in this book. You know, going back to the very first scene with Anakin and Jason in Vector Prime, where they're, like, debating while they're dueling. Mm-hmm. All the way to the end of this book, when Anakin and Jason are having a conversation on the balcony back on Coruscant, and Jason kind of comes to this realization of, we're... The baddies. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, we well, are We well. are having a conversation now, not a debate. Anakin can speak to the philosophical conflicts that I'm having. It's not just, I need to show him the error of his ways anymore. It's he is helping me and I am helping him. Anakin's undergone a lot of growth. Yes. Yes. 
And and I felt like it, it was definitely on the show side, not the tell side. Yeah. Which is oh, yeah. awesome. And and that's something that can be a struggle sometimes in these Star Wars books. Like when when you're writing under a deadline and they're trying to be economical because they're the point of these is to make money, you know, like you have 220 pages to stuff in as much character development as you can and as much plot development as you can. It's easy to just say, this is the way it is instead of spending two or three or five pages showing that this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, th- I thought Stackpole did a pretty good job balancing economy of words in a short book and providing substantial depth to most of his character arcs. Yeah, I I mean, it's hard to be perfect and knock it out of the park. I'm sure the deadlines affected that. I'm sure yeah. having, you know, external editors who are there for the Star Wars as a whole instead of just your books yeah. is also oh, yeah. difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, Stackpole, uh, he's one of the lucky few where he's been around for a long time at this point, writing in the Star Wars universe. He's one of the guys who, like, helped establish the continuity. Right. So you're saying he had a bit more creative freedom, you think? Yeah. I, in fact, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I believe... In the New Jedi Order, there were like eight or nine different authors, and only three of them had previously written in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Is your favorite in it? Well, so here's the interesting thing. Uh, Matthew Stover had not previously written in the Expanded Universe before the New Jedi Order. Oh, I was joking about your not favorite. My not favorite? Karen Travis? Uh, no, she is not. Um, I believe she was not in the Bantam era. I'm pretty sure she was all Del Rey. Uh, the three who are in New Jedi Order are um, Kathy Tires, who wrote Truce at Bakura, and then Alstead and Stackpole. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, like the kind of the original crew who laid out the post-Return of the Jedi expanded universe were Timothy Zahn, of course, Michael Stackpole, and then uh, Kevin J. Anderson. But they had some, as we talked about on Starfighters of Adamar, uh, Anderson had a, a different vision. Oh, right. For we, things. We and, and and not just that, but, but that is one of the big things. And so, uh, like, there was a bit of narrative tug of war uh, and obviously in the long run, the Zahn Stackpole camp kind of won out. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's, let's go full on into characters here. I, we, we've already talked actually pretty extensively about Luke, but let's start with Mara and Anakin. Okay. Um, Mara is interesting, but obviously she's sick, so she can't be her full 
self, her full energetic, big personality self. Yeah. And, and I like that part of her conflict is expressing that being like, I am a warrior and I am not right now. And it, I am not me. And that yeah. is, that is part of the problem here. And I loved how that played perfectly into the lessons Anakin needed to learn. Oh, that yeah. In spirit, Mara and Anakin are pretty similar. Anakin from the start here is like, he wants action. He wants movement. He wants to do things. Yeah, he doesn't sit In around. contrast to Jason, who wants to go think about him. Yeah, sit around and think. And Mara, who is of a kindred spirit, is forced into inactivity. Yes. But that also gives her, you know, a contemplative nature and allows her to help Anakin engage with ideas of, you know, prudence and temperance Mm -hmm. in the ways of the Force. So, like, even just those simple little things of her telling him, like, hey, don't don't use the force to refresh yourself. Don't use the force to lug things around all the time. Learn how to use your body. Learn how to condition yourself physically as well as in, in your powers. And Doesn't she talk at one point about how her training and how she had to be mm-hmm. capable without the force at all? Yeah. 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 I liked that. That was fun background. Yeah, it's like that... That's a really good choice. You know, when, when we're looking, this is going back to the structure of the book a little bit. When we're looking at how Stackpole set it all up, each storyline is is a duo, right? It's like Gavin and Crefay, Leia and Jaina, Luke and Jason, Mara and Anakin. And there are, you know, good in-universe decisions given for why those characters are going off in their in their duos. But adding another layer of, like, thematic and conflict importance of why these characters are paired off the way they are, like, that's a sign of good writing. And I was going to say, good that's approach. good writing, yeah. yeah. And that's why I think uh, the Mara and Anakin storyline is the strongest in this book. I agree. It it just came together. It synergized really well. It became more than some of its parts. And the rising action was intense. Oh, when they're getting chased. Yeah. 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 And I could say the same with with uh, Corin and Ganner. Like that was also intense. And, so, and maybe that's why we both kind of, I don't know, enjoyed those arcs the most. Yeah, I, I was going to say Corn and Ganner is my second favorite of of the main arcs here. Uh, again, this is one of those just clever layered things where Corrin is forced into a situation where he has to demonstrate his maturity when in the past we've always seen him being kind of a hot-headed idiot. And, and not thinking things through. But he's a dad now. But, and not only is he a dad, but, like, he's been a Jedi for a while. Yes. He's lived in a post-war galaxy. Right. He he has had to transition, you know, into a new stage of his life. And, of course, like, he's 
15, 20 years older now. Yeah, this takes place in 25 ABY, and and uh, I think Rogue Squadron's 9 ABY. So he's he's a good bit older. I, I also do like that uh, his abilities in the Force are a bit different. And he, yes. even though he's settled with that, he's still, like, they get brought up against him, right? And he and he still has to go through it. Yeah. And feel it. The, and, like, having Ganner be his foil on he's this great. arc, yeah, it works so perfectly. Because Ganner, in a lot of ways, acts like Corrin acted, <laughs> but in a more overt way abrasive way yes so like this is this is one of the things if we go all the way back to rogue squadron where corin's rival is broar chase right i forgot about him and we're reading the book from corin's point of view so you're rooting for corin and you're like wow this is so unjust that broar jace is being like held up as the best pilot when corin's clearly the better pilot and broar jace is so arrogant but like if you pull yourself out and look they're both really arrogant <laughs> And then you go to I Jedi, and Corrin has this the same foil type and same conflict with Gantoris at first, and then Kipduron later, where you're rooting for Corrin, and you're seeing this other guy come in and be super arrogant and obnoxious. But if you pull out, you look, and Corrin is also being arrogant and obnoxious at the Jedi Temple there. Mm. And then he goes to Tavira. And his foil there is is uh, Remard, the other pilot. And you're like, wow, this guy is this just arrogant, awful dude. And Corrin is also being arrogant and awful when he's with uh, the Invids. And then we finally get this set up here where it could be the same thing once again. But Corrin has learned and matured. And he tones down the arrogance. Mm-hmm. And he works with instead of against. And it shows us a lot of important character development for him. It really mirrored to me another plot line that we had recently been reading where uh, a character was providing therapy for another character. Oh. <laughs> you know, where like trying, yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to help them without overtly annoying them by trying to help them. That's how I felt this was. I could, I could see it. Where where he's like... It's a little more subtle here than it was in the oh, other yeah. one. Oh, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> we outright say it in the other one. And yeah. and if if Corrin said it to Ganor, like, that would be the end yeah. of, of anything working. So let's talk about Ganor. I want to I get your thoughts <clears throat> on him here. <clears throat> well... We start with showing him as a bully. Yes. To a kid, come on. You know, of course he doesn't have... Of course he's not, you know, in the best light. No, that's what I had. It's like he's he's oh. a bully against a kid. We you... start off on the wrong foot with him. Yeah, okay. I thought you were, like, going <laughs> to go forward and talk about him throughout the book after that. No. Oh. Yeah, I mean, like, the the first real scene we get with him where he's being terrible to Corrin's son. And then, and then of course, Valen does like the summons, all the bugs and they bite Ganner and Corrin's like cracking up, but also he's like, don't use the force that way. Don't use the force that way. That's 
I'm not going to say you're you're treading on the dark side, but like too close. There lies the path to the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I did like the full circle thing there. Where Corn does going back to Corn, yeah, where where he does it with the slash rats in the end. But yeah, with Ganner, like it's nice to see how by the end of it, Ganner goes back for Corn. You know. Oh, like, yeah. They like, started like you, off... At, like you trolled me that he wasn't going to? <laughs> they started off at such loggerheads where, like, they they couldn't do anything without... But but here's the difference. This time, Corrin approached it with patience. Yeah. And virtue. Like... He provided, he, he provided an example for Ganner. And he did not rub his nose in it. I'm not. I'm not going to say that like Ganner is suddenly like a cool, chill dude now, but no. But I think he learned something. You would hope so. If he chooses to take it that way, yeah. like it, they really did become a good team here. Like they yeah. used each other's strengths, right? Yes, they did. It was nice to see. Yep, I, I liked that kind of pro- problem-solving situation with the embrace of pain, trying to get the students out. Well, I was thinking more like even their investigation where they were like, you do this, I got this. Ready, go. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. these are your strengths, so you go this way. These are your strengths, so you do this part. Right. Yeah. You know, and they did get a little invested in the students and the professor. Well, Ganner was certainly hitting it off with uh, <laughs> one of the chicks. <laughs> I wanted to step into the story and be like, He's leaving, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is temporary. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's like any other like real in-depth... I mean, we got to mention Han, at least. Oh, I don't like seeing Han like this. This is uncomfortable. The one scene with him was so painful to read. Well, and, and then we end the book with like, oh, well, he's... You know, he's in a casino or wherever he is. He's fell into a, a drink. Cantina, yeah. Again, like he's probably been doing this entire time. Yeah. When we have bigger problems, and his entire family was at risk. Yeah, I think this Han is, is Han is worth talking about in light of the absence of Han. It's uncomfortable. Like, it doesn't is... feel like him at all. Who is this character? I don't know him. I mean, it, it is certainly Han dealing with something that he never dealt with in any of the other stories we've seen or read. See, you know. but, like, I imagine him as dealing with a lot before we see him on screen. He was a stormtrooper, right? No. He attended the Imperial Academy and he was an officer. He was an officer. Yeah. Okay. Well... Like, but that, that didn't last very long. How long was it? Like, just very, very... I, months? I mean, it's been years? so long since I've read the original, uh, like, the Han Solo trilogy that covered it. Like, definitely not years. I feel like, like it was pretty immediate. See, I felt like he... Don't take my word for that, though, because it's been... The better... Wow. Yeah, like, 25 years since I read those books. <laughs> okay, I always imagined that he he dealt with a lot. I mean, he did, but this is, I do think Chewie's different. 
losing Chewie. And and look, if you go back to Han in the movies, he always had an edge to him. Yes. Yeah. And this is like there's nothing to blunt that edge right now. What do you what do you mean? Like if okay, if there's something that's gonna snap you out of your downward spiral, it would be your family. In danger. The, well, what else is there? What else do we have? Like, we, do you have to hit rock bottom? Does everybody have to leave you before? Because I thought your kid's almost dying would be something to snap you out of it. The universe being threatened, your entire, you know, life. I, yeah, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but this is how Han is reacting to it. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, look, and this is controversial. There are a lot of people out there who agree with you, who really hate the portrayal of Han in in these early books here. What I would like instead is the other form of dealing with grief, where you throw yourself so hard into a cause <laughs> that yeah. you stop Un- feeling. Unfortunately, that's not how everybody works. <laughs> right. I just want Han to do that instead of... That is totally how Leia would deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally how Leia would deal with it. So. I mean, uh, that's what I would prefer to do. Then let's see. Uh, what do you think of Admiral Crefet? Not too much time, but like. I mean, obviously, I, I appreciate that he's trying here, even though it could cost him. His position, his yeah, everything. I like having a Bothan with influence on our side, for once. And he seems to be very patient, and uh, not arrogant. Uh, patient up to a point, but then he like he is pragmatic. Sure, and and like he's a military man, right? Like. He's not a slimy politician like Borsphalia. He doesn't prevaricate. He doesn't beat around the bush. When confrontation is necessary, he goes right for the throat. Well, he had a point of humility that I really appreciated, where he was like, yeah, mistakes were made. I was part of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I like him a lot. Uh, he's he just seems like such a reasonable person. Maybe it's because he's largely in opposition to the worst, just the worst people. <laughs> like at every point that like Pwo shows up, the Quarren senator in the expanded universe, he's just awful. Phalia is has been a thorn in everybody's side since all the way back at the beginning. Can can I just say like, that like for the first time I really in in you reading the books to me, I really had a good um vision of Po in my head. Oh. Because we've been watching um the cartoons. The oh yeah, we, we recently finished Clone Wars. Yeah, there and there's the whole Mon Calamari arc with the Quarren. 
Yeah. And yeah. so when they described him, and I think at one point he reacts and he like pulls his tentacles in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could actually see him this time nice. in my head. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Instead of being like, uh, okay, which which species is that one? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Bothans, even though I haven't seen them, I can, I got them in my head. Yeah. Like, starting with, many Bothans died to bring us this information. You know, like, after watching the movies maybe a hundred times, like, I knew that they were part of it but i didn't i never Mm -hmm. saw them Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is it's also kind of funny with the ahsoka show out now uh where there's the one senator he's not a bothan he's a human in in ahsoka but like that dude is 100 percent just he is borsk (laughs) failure like like he, he is exactly the same awful politician does exactly the same things that Borsk Falia does. Like it, it is just straight out of the old EU. <laughs> yeah. Falia sucks. That. I didn't think about that. <laughs> well, like, and, and you can't even like at the end of the book, he gets played into, you know, allowing them being forced to allow them to, you know, make the announcement have Elagos uh, make his testimony before the entire Senate, have the media get access to it, get military um, volition back in the hands of actual military people. But even then, you can't feel good about it because Phalia just remains slimy the entire time. And because we've seen him operate this way for so long and always managed to get his cut, you're like, okay, how is he going to turn this around? And and even by the end of it, Gavin's like, this is a temporary victory. He might be doing what we want him to do today, but it is not going to last. Like, we cannot trust that this is going to last. So play 3D chess and get him out of office. That's not <laughs> going to happen because that's not, that's not <clears throat> this series. Is it? We're not going to... I don't think we're going to have in-depth political dislodging from the inside working through like planetary politics on his planet to get him out planetary politics don't matter this is public level (laughs) politics to get him removed as chief of state i'm just gonna say right he's chief of state now i'm just gonna say like one of the things the new jedi order i'm not i'm not like promising that that's a plot line to come or anything but one of the things the new jedi order set out to do is to change the status quo of star Wars books. It's not going to be business as usual the way, you know, the previous eight, nine years of star Wars publishing had been where it's like, the stories are all about Han and Luke and Leia. Boring. The stories are all like, you know, monster of the week, Imperial villain of the week. And, and we're going to win in the end and everybody's going to be fine. And yay. And yay. Like the first book of this set out immediately to say like, we're not all fine. Things suck. Things are definitely not all fine. And nobody is safe. 
Yeah, but I felt like they were here. You felt like they were in this book? I had no doubt at any point that Karn was, was dead. Okay. Eh. Okay. That's interesting. Like, I... Uh, okay. Because it definitely... Like, the story wants at least some percentage of its readers to think that Corn actually died there. For zero seconds did I think that Corn. died. Yeah, you did not. <laughs> you were like, immediately. And I'm not saying that, like, it wants everybody to think that. You could have done a much better death fake out if you wanted every reader to really think he was dead. Um, but it's the kind of thing where, like, if you have a... Not a seasoned reader... You know, somebody who's like, oh, I I watched the Star Wars movies and I heard these new Jedi Order books are coming out. Maybe I should read more Star Wars adventures. And they read the first one and Chewie dies. And then they're in the second one and Corrin is like dying. And they're like, oh my gosh, like a main character is going to die in every one of these books. This is so like, I could see that being an experience that some readers have. You mean versus like... Another book that we read where it was like, death flag, death flag, death flag. <laughs> yeah. He's going to die. Death flag from the beginning. Yeah. Um, there's. Yeah. Yeah. And like going back to stuff like Brandon Sanderson, where uh, we've read so many of his books now that certain aspects of his foreshadowing are really obvious to us. Mm, I still miss stuff, but I'm trying to, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's, I have an easier time. Most of the things that I, that catch me by surprise with Sanderson now are like, I see the Four? foreshadowing being lay, laid, but he, he reaches that endpoint way faster than I was expecting. Okay. This, these books are doing something totally different. Like these are not like. <laughs> layered foreshadowing and hints woven into the narrative I mean, and stuff like that. The ants, but that was cute. I liked that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, I, I don't even know if I would call that foreshadowing. I would just call that like thematic touchstones. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Because part of it is like these books aren't built with a mystery at their core the way uh, a Sanderson book is. Sure, not at their core, but the Yuuzhan Vong yeah. are definitely a mystery to me, and and oh, sure. so yeah. and so is the Force, like especially with Mara, I don't understand how like what the disease is or how it's working or how she's holding it off or how she's going to defeat it. That's still interesting to me. Yeah, yeah as yeah. we get hints, but it's not set up as like here is the core problem of the story. Exactly. This is a puzzle, and the characters need to solve the puzzle. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I like it. And and maybe that's just because we've read so much of Brandon that I'm now focused on mm -hmm. those things. I think it's very likely that's the case. But yeah, so like the, the new Jedi Order, though, they're doing something different. It's obviously going to be a very long-term, large-scale conflict in a way that we haven't seen before. Like, the longest non-New Jedi Order series in the EU before this was the X-Wing books, which was nine books at the time of this publishing. But I love that. it wasn't really a nine-book series. It was a four-book series mm -hmm. 
a trilogy, and then two standalones. They all just, like, came under the same heading. This is a 19-book unified series. Jeez. Yeah. Written by a bunch of different authors. Yeah, that's wild. So. Um, do you want to talk about other characters now? Sure. What do you got? So. We haven't talked about Jaina. Not really. I was going to go to Jason, but Jaina's good. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, we've already talked about Jason a little bit. Um, but mostly in, in the sense of like what I wanted more. I do love the idea of him like getting this force vision because he's the most introspective. He's the most mystical. Yes. And so it's like, uh, I thought this was a good subversion of expectations where if this were business as usual, like the Bantam era EU, Jason would get that vision and he'd go and fulfill the vision. But here, he goes and immediately fails. Yeah, and we have hints of it as he's going. Right. Where it's like... What, Little what, details what, are off. What What are you doing? Yeah. What? There's a sense of wrongness to the whole sequence. And, th- yes, and this goes yes. to, like, Stackpole's writing. He does a good <laughs> job of, of, like, making it feel wrong. He did very much in that scene. Very much. Like, the whole time I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's it's no. very clearly not some, like, heroic march to destiny going on right now. Yeah, and I couldn't, I'm not sure I could point to exactly what he did to make it feel that way. Yeah, I would have to reread and, and like, really dig into his word choices but and he, what he chooses to describe. He nailed it. He did. Yeah, it was a great sequence. Um, okay, so I will say one thing that I I started to enjoy with him. Um, with Jason? Yeah, we get a little bit of philosophy. Yeah, a little but bit. But what, what I'm craving is like Stover-level philosophy <laughs> with him. That is what I would really enjoy right now. And, and it's maybe because in another recent read, like the philosophy fell short for me. And so now I just want to read it. I just want, like, give me, ah, Stover. Give me Stover. Well, this is a very explicit promise. <laughs> just wait until Traitor by Matthew Stover. <laughs> I love Stover. <laughs> he, he hurts yeah. so good. With the <laughs> he hurts so good. Yeah. Especially um, with the, like, character and philosophy and... I'm going to break the fourth yeah. wall and make you feel there's, it. There's a there's a reason he was picked to write the book he was picked for in this series. I'm scared. I will give you an explicit promise of that. I'm scared. Yeah. Um, there's also a reason that Trader is widely regarded as one of, if not the very best Star Wars book ever written. So, And, and why people <laughs> bug him about it all the dang time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Unfortunately, we have quite a ways to go before we get to, to Trader. In fact, I think we have, oh, oof, uh, a 10 or 11 more bucks before we get there. <laughs> it's, it's in the back half of the series. If I weren't a reader, I would be very intimidated by this. 
Yeah, that's fair. Like I see it all the time. So I, you know, I follow a few Star Wars EU subreddits and it's pretty often that I see people posting being like, I want to read the new Jedi order, which are the books that I absolutely have to read to get the whole story. Oh, and everybody's no. like, all of them. All of them? <laughs> They're no, like, well, no. I was hoping I could, you know, maybe just like pick out five or six of them and that would like hit the major points. It's like, no, no. <laughs> you, you really do need to read all of them. Um, they did a, like they're in, in the publishing uh, rollout of it. They did identify certain books as tent poles. Okay. Uh, as hardcover releases. So not all 19 got a hardcover release, but it was like, but Trader did. Uh, yeah. Trader did. Um, I think it was like vector prime balance point. Star by Star, Trader, Destiny's Way, and the Unifying Force were the hardcovers. There might and there might have been like one or two others in there. Um, I know there was like a weird like omnibus hardcover of one of the duologies released, but that wasn't like part of the standard publishing cycle. I don't know. Uh, this is actually one of the like really fun things for me as I'm going through these books rereading for the first time since I was in high school is as I read each book, I'm digging in a little more into things that interest me now that didn't in high school, the publishing context and business context of, of these, of these books and looking up author interviews and publisher interviews and editor interviews and learning more about this insane undertaking. But I'm also kind of, forcing myself to dole it out over time as we read them instead of just throwing myself into the deep end. But I'm not sure how I would have felt about these books in high school. (laughs) I I loved them. I I feel like, um, race squadron would have, would get to me no matter where, how I do it. It, It, Race Squadron affects me much more now than it did when I was a kid. Much more. I I feel like whatever Matthew Stover writes, though, uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter when, I would probably have feelings. Likely. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, Jaina, you wanted to do... I, I was just <laughs> curious about your thoughts on her. You know, she's joined Rogue Squadron now. Um, yeah, I feel like this is temporary. She's got so much of a bigger role to play in the wider universe. I like her doing this for her. Right. Where she's like, no. I mean, even though Leia helped her and she hates that. <laughs> um, this is an achievement for her. She is a good enough pilot. She does belong Right. in this group. I mean, I wish we got to see her belonging. Yeah. But I felt like uh, when she was in the battles, she very much did not seem out of place. Oh, yeah. She's an amazing pilot. Well, I it, just... It helps no, if she's I, Force-sensitive. I just mean, like, how she interacted with... Oh, the other pilots. The other pilots. Okay. Gotcha. And... and in general, like the attack and how she's thinking about it, it fits with X-Wing. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, I'm really glad you just like preempted the question I was going to ask you. Mm. Um, and that, because she is a Jedi, but her master is kind of out of commission right now. Right. With Mara. And she's given a non-Jedi role. And I was going to ask, you know, kind of what you felt about that. And you immediately were like, I don't think this is going to last because she has more to do. She does have more to do. And she's got a lot. Yeah. She's got a larger role to play. Unfortunately, as a pilot, you're pretty limited. You are limited. Yeah. And also you are uh, directed. So I actually really liked that in the final scene from Gavin's point of view where Gavin is mindful of his body language when he's confronting Borsk and the advisory council. And he's like, I want them to understand that I am a physical presence and a powerful person, not just some guy who sits in a seat and pulls a trigger. He's like, I want them to know that I can do things physically they could never dream of. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. How, you know, like you were just saying, you're really limited in in what you can do as just another fighter jockey. Mm-hmm. And Gavin is trying to find ways to expand his influence. And good. Yeah. They need it right now. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> Thank God his buds came back to help him out. Yeah. It's... Whew. Yeah, the the political opposition is has been frustrating from the very beginning of this series. It's been frustrating at points in the EU, usually involving Borskphalia, um, but I think it's really cranked to 11 so far in this series. I'm still, I'm still thinking about like the, the difference in the physical presence. And now I'm thinking about how Leia maybe doesn't have, can't have the same effect that he can because she's smaller. Her voice is higher pitched, even though she has like the background and the reputation, mm-hmm. her in-person, like, how intimidating is she? I'm sure she could come in, like, guns a-blazing and really yeah. do it. But politics are not played in her way it, yeah, with guns a-blazing. That's what I was about to say, is one of the ways that Borskphalia often messes with her is that when she tries to be like direct and passionate Mm -hmm. he immediately paints her as a cynical politician like him and that of course she doesn't believe the thing she's actually saying she has an ulterior motive because we all have ulterior motives (laughs) and it's so (laughs) infuriating (laughs) yeah i'm sure it drives her (laughs) yeah yeah but but yeah like i I like that. And and also I feel her feels when I can't yell over somebody mm-hmm. or like you can't hear me. Like I can't give instructions because you can't hear me. Like, yeah. You know? Oh man. It would be nice to have an authoritative voice, but 
<laughs> you work yeah. with what you're given. All right. You do. Like, you do. <laughs> I, I, I will say I'm grateful that I'm not five foot zero and a hundred pounds. You yeah. Know? Like I, I am taller. Yes. I can't, <laughs> even if I don't have the voice, like I look down at like a, I am taller than a lot of men and that's nice sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so uh, I think we're kind of getting into the end of it. Do you have any like miscellaneous thoughts, overall impression of the book? Like how would you rate it? Did you like it? Uh, oh, I just, I just thought about like, uh, Quizooks surprised me there. I was not expecting to have her like, what? Quizooks is not in this book. Oh, what's, I'm mixing up names. When they were going through and sensing who was. Danny Quee. Danny Quee. Yes. It's the Quee and the Quee. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gotcha. I was, I was very confused for a second. (laughs) Danny Queen. Right. And she's working on her force ability. That was interesting. Is she gonna, now I'm like, I expect her to stick around here. If they made her a presence again in this book, if she wasn't just one book. Yeah. Yeah. She's an ongoing character in the series. Yeah. I mean, she was one of the point of view characters in book one. She didn't get points of view here, but. And she's, I would call her a recurring character, if not a main character. And she was getting hit on too. Oh yeah, that that scene with Jason is <laughs> a little rough. Um, uh, he... I mean, she she immediately calls him out. She's like, "Look, you are way too young." <laughs> I felt I felt his teenage angst so hard. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. You know, before that, it was like, oh, you know, maybe you're more mature than your years. And then we go through that scene and it's like, mm, maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. She's like, maybe if I were five years younger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, okay. So overall feel? Yeah. Um, Did you like this more or less the same as Vector Prime? more it also helped that we read it faster and yeah we did we flew through this um yeah 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 i mean i did love in the last book we had more use on long point of view Mm -hmm. that was fun but it's a fair point i i mean i loved that end point i would have liked more of shade oshai yeah because Yikes. Uh, yikes is a good reaction to him, I think. <laughs> you, you've you only just started getting getting a taste of him. And some of the torture and the slavery and the... Yeah. Um, that that still is has a pull mm-hmm. for me. Okay, good. That was going to be one of my like final questions to ask was like, and I, and I think I'll probably revisit this pretty much every book it was like, you know, how do you feel about the Yuuzhan Vong as a, an enemy, as a threat? I'm still trying to assess uh, how big they are, how big, bad, scary they are, because right. We had the first force that was clearly 
not everybody and yeah. and we have multiple waves here how how many are they how big are their weapons how much have we seen or not seen right because right our troops are starting to figure out ways to combat them yeah but which were fun those those like simulation scenes where they're like we're gonna push our inertial compensators out beyond our shields so the gravitic anomalies can't rip our systems apart and you know we're gonna use these like powered down rapid fire lasers to overload their their black hole defenses and then hit them with real munitions after they've you know, lost the ability to keep up. Okay, so you saying that helped me think this through. Um, okay, so if, if we're talking technology versus biology, like Yuzan Bong tend to rely on biological things, forces, powers. Uh-huh. And obviously our side of things is relying on technology. Yep. What moves faster what adapts faster biology or technology i would all i'll say to that is i wouldn't describe the yuzon vong as biology so much as biotechnology i, I won't seen say any nanobots yet i won't say anything more Severian has thoughts. All, all I'll say is that the arms race you're talking about is something to keep in mind for this series. Okay, if it's biotech, I'm thinking nanobots and yikes. Um, but also, we have nanobots. I wouldn't call nanobots biotech. Yes. Huh, okay. That That's a conversation for not at the end of an episode, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, did we did we forget anybody? We talked about Marin Anakin, Ganner and Corin, Luke and Jason, Lan, Jaina, Han, Crefay, Gavin. Okay. Wedge and Tycho showed up. They that was did. a fun little scene at the end. It's cute. <laughs> yeah. Very, very uh in line with the series. <laughs> Antics. It, it felt like a good little nostalgic callback to the the vibe of the early Rogue Squadron books. Look, I can tell you, if my dad went back to drop in on his old work buddies, mm-hmm. he would want to pull their leg. He would want to, mm-hmm. like... Yeah, like you knew Wedge and Tycho were sitting in the room listening to Gavin talking to the guard outside and just like cracking up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you liked it more than Vector Prime. I did as well. Uh, I I don't think it, it's like my favorite book. Uh, if I were to rate this, I'd probably give it like a three, 3.5 out of five. Okay. I do think it's Stackpole's best written book, but it's not necessarily his best plotted or structured book. Like I think Back to War and I Jedi are better books overall. 
his prose in this one is just smoother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, uh, we will be moving on at some point. Again, it'll depend because I'm reading these aloud to Lauren. Uh, just depends on how much reading time yeah, we have. Exactly. Um, when we'll get to dark tide to ruin. Uh, I have a feeling we'll, now that we're like into the new Jedi order though, I have a feeling we're going to be moving through these pretty quickly. Who's the next author? The next book is stack pull again. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. So yeah, he gets, this is his duology for the series. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Uh, not every author gets a duology. Some, some are standalones. Uh, there's one trilogy, uh, towards the end of the series, but uh, there Not are over. no. Sadly, he only gets the one book. Yeah, there. It's like Vector Prime is is one, and then there's like duology, duology, standalone, duology, and so on. Um, yeah, like I, I, I definitely feel like we have momentum right now. Uh, I'm really enjoying reading through this. Like I said on Vector Prime, even more so with this book, I remembered nothing about this book. <laughs> like, I I didn't remember the Bimiel trip. I didn't remember Leia going to Agamar. I didn't remember the Battle of Dantooine at the end, even. Like, I remembered nothing about this book. I do remember some things from the next one. Uh, although one of the things, I, at least I'm pretty sure it's going to be in the next book, but one of the things I totally thought happened in vector prime so who knows <laughs> i'm glad you didn't spoil it that's cool. yeah yeah so yeah we, we have some fun stuff coming up but before we wrap up the episode entirely we have to do a final draft uh i want to talk about this beer first okay um the one that i've been mostly drinking here have you tried this yet no okay uh, so this is a beer from one of our listeners. Actually, both of these beers uh, were sent from a, an Inking Out Loud listener. Shout out to Sean. Um, we really appreciate it. These are new beers to us. The one I'm drinking is from Shire Brew House in Dalton, Massachusetts. Uh, this is a double India Pale Ale, 8.1%, double dry hopped with El Dorado Rakau. Rakau? R-A-K-A-U. Yeah, that's yeah, a New Zealand hop. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Strata. It is an absolute juice bomb, this beer. Head retention is great. It has lasted the entire... Correct. Yeah. Uh, this book's... Or this Whoa, book, this I b- smell Rakow. Okay. Woo-hoo. So is Rakow what I'm just getting that is pure pineapple juice? No, it's got a, <laughs> it's got a note, a distinct note that I don't have a word for. Cause yeah. Like, uh, I mean, pineapples in the scent, but Rakow is like a distinct, like <laughs> weird hop resin smell. Huh. Okay. But yeah, th- this, like every smell and sip I take is just like, fresh squeezed pineapple let's see how do i describe 
New Zealand hops. They're mm. weird. So I'm used to like Nelson Savan and Mo Motuka Motueka. Um, with those, I usually associate them with more of a tropical non-citrus, like guava passion fruit kind of flavor. Like a little, a little, I'm going to do one of my uh, describing tastes as shapes. And like it, it's, it's like a fruity flavor that's more like the substance of a bean bag. <laughs> like there's like heft to it. Okay. I think but I it moves. It's not solid. I don't know. Uh, I'm I, I I'm weird. I know. But this though is just straight friggin' pineapple juice. <laughs> uh, very tasty though. Very very pineapple. Um. Okay. So hold on. Let me. El Dorado, Rakao, and Strata. So when I think of New Zealand hops, it's it's a distinct kind. Oh, of... Oh, that's eight point seven, not eight point one. Sorry. It's a distinct kind of dankness. Dank is not the right word, but that's the closest word that I have. Huh. It would help you if you um, if you came with me when I open like a bag of hops. Sure. Where you just have like. Oh yeah, I would love to do like just a hop. Uh, sensory session where I get to smell different hops. Uh individually and and repeating it with the same like consistent hops really starts to get it in your head and in your i don't know up your nostrils and in Mm -hmm. your brain of like this is this this is this right but anyway the uh the beer itself this is not directly thematically appropriate for the book however uh, i have a rule if i have a star wars themed beer and we're covering a Star Wars book. I'm bringing the beer on. This one is called Rancor, and the can art is literally a Rancor, the the beast that was in the pit in Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. Uh, super fun. I and, like the drawing on here. And very tasty. Yeah, it's just a black and white label with like a line drawing Rancor. That's fun. Yeah. But I am, like, more excited to talk about your beer. We don't know. It is not listed anywhere on the can. I what, looked it up. What style of beer? Don't tell me. Okay. Because I wanted to say, I, I smelled it, and I've taken a couple of sips of it. Is it a Hellas? No. Really? No. Really? Look at it. No. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hazy for a Hellas, I guess. But Absolutely I, not. I very much get the like noble hop in there. Yeah, like interesting. Well, I can tell you there isn't a noble hop in there. <laughs> there isn't. No. Really. I it's was, it's okay, like the sweet, right. sweet right. and yes. hoppy that I am very used to from Hellas. Uh, of course, there's no. ABV. Anyway, this beer is from Ravenous well, Brewing hey, Company. Hey, hey, Just want to put I that I have out an there. ABV. You do? Okay. Yeah. 
This doesn't even have a location on the label. It just says it's, Ravenous Brewing Company. No, I, I believe it's Rhode Island. I found it on here. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, here. Oh, oh, okay. I see, I see. Cumberland, Rhode Island. Gotcha. Yeah. I think this is part it's of like, a series. It's so vegetal. The Like the hop aroma on it is super like green and vegetal to me. That's one of the hops. And I usually associate that with like noble hop. No. Hmm. Well, I'm really fascinated. This is fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So as I was assessing this, uh, what's the ABV? Six. Six. Yeah. Just six. Six Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So as I'm, as I'm assessing this, obviously if you compare it to your hazy, right? It's much less hazy. A lot less hazy. And when I smelled it, I get a lot more alpha acid bitter notes off of it. Whoa, what? This is not bitter at all to me. So I'm looking at it. It's not as hazy as hazy IPAs that we make. It's not as hazy as your IPA. I smell some West Coast hops. And then there's definitely a sweet mixed in there. Yeah, it's very sweet in flavor, which so, is also why I thought Hellas. So to me, I'm thinking, okay, we probably got a traditional New England hazy IPA hop in there, but I think we have a West Coast IPA hop in there. And I was looking at it and I'm like, okay, it's pale, not, it is hazy, not that hazy, not clear enough for a West Coast. Are they just calling it a pale ale? So turns out, they did label it a New England. They enabled, labeled this a New England IPA? According to Untapped. <laughs> what? This doesn't taste anything like a New England IPA. Yeah, well, it's got one of the hops that's in like every New England IPA. Citra? Citra. Okay. And there's Simcoe, which is in half the West Coast IPA. Is Simcoe the really green vegetal one? Uh... It, most people say like sprucey. No, I don't get pine at all. Piney. There we go. That's the word. No. I do. I'm baffled by this beer right now. I never would have thought this was an IPA based on just smell and taste. Okay. I am going to say you have but been true. drinking. I've other been things. drinking a like really crazy IPA before this. Right. True. It- <laughs> okay, so so one thing I learned during one of the classes I've taken is that your tongue changes shape and texture when you taste things. Mm-hmm. And you have to give it time to reset or you are affecting your next sensory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's fair. That's very fair. But, but yeah, okay. Because so, what you're talking about makes no sense to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I will say it's not as um, dark as a West Coast I would expect to be. So I, that's why I was confused. Yeah, from, from my angle, like where I'm looking at it, it doesn't look that hazy. It is much paler than, than my New England IPA. And, and so I was like, 
like maybe it's not quite as like rich amber as like a Zvi Hellas or a Bierstadt Hellas, but like I don't know, some little New England brewery that I don't know, maybe they did something different it's there. It's not even a lager yeast. I'm just saying, like when I smelled it, <laughs> I got noble hop and Hellas sweetness. Okay. So again, Ravenous Brewing Company from Rhode Island. And there is a donkey on this label. And this beer goes out to Borskvalia. Our good old chief of state. And again, there's donkey on this. It is called You Are Such an Ass. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. That said, I think this finally brings us to the end of the episode. This has been episode 214 of Inking Out Loud. Next up, I believe we're going to be going into the first half of Lyriel. Yay! Book two of finally. the Abhorson trilogy by Garth Nix. I'm not 100% certain where we're going to be reading up to. It'll be just about halfway through the book. Um, Nine years too late. Yeah, I, I started reading Lyriel soon after we started dating. No, you took forever. It wasn't forever. Forever. It was like a year later. <laughs> um, uh, I started reading it, and I was annoyed that it didn't have the same main character as Sabriel. <laughs> so I put it down. But... Knowing that now, I'm really excited. And if you're a Garth Nix fan, uh, check out our Patreon because our January Patreon exclusive episode was also a Garth Nix uh, Old Kingdom story. It was To Hold the Bridge, uh, the novella he wrote. And we enjoyed that one a lot. So check that out. And yeah, next up we got Lyriel. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is Lauren McCaffrey. Cheers, guys. Who didn't even let me cheers her. She just picked up my beer and you cheers herself. You took too long. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.